every business. I mean, we're all in business to make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Andy, you've kind of talked about the, the cost of the player, right? The ROI on that player, the ROI mm-hmm. on the training. So what does your business strategy and business plan, how are you building your financial plan within that? Yeah, so I don't I don't care if you're a, a Fortune top hundred corporation or you're a, a mom and pop, small you know brick and mortar kind of business. Everybody has a finite bucket of money, mm-hmm. and the key to success is at any given point in time is where are you investing that money inside the business, right? Right. And and corporation I used to work for, you if you were launching a new product or service, you had to bring together a business plan and show through your estimates and so forth what kind you know, over a five or ten year period, what kind of return on that investment, right? So if you're a CEO of a major corporation, you've got this big bucket of money and you're saying, Where what areas in the business do I want to put right. my bucket, which is finite? that I'm going to get the best return on my investment. It's the same thing for a small small business trying to get started. You have a certain amount of capital. You got ready to invest in the business. And at this given point in time, what, where do I want to invest that? And then the next year might be slightly different depending on where you're at. Hello, and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm Zach Levy, your other co-host. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Together, Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Hello, and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. My name is Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value in Atlanta, Georgia. And my colleague and co-host is... Zach Levy, thank you so much for joining us today. We know your time is the most valuable asset you have, the only one you can't get back, and we appreciate you spending it with us. Yeah, I hope you get um, some value out of our conversation today is going to be an important topic for people that are thinking about owning their own business as well as those that are in the midst of it. As we're going to take a look at uh, the challenges that we face both in the typical non-COVID environment as well as what we're facing today. We're going to look at both sides of that quarter, so to speak. What do you think about that? Is that important? I mean, every new business, old business... Adolescent business is going to face is going to face challenges, so mm-hmm. it's important to talk about. And hopefully today we can offer you some insight on different experiences that we've had on facing different challenges, which can generate some ideas, some value in those areas for you if they're where you're struggling, 
or if you're thinking about, like Andy said, starting a new business, jumping in to the sea of entrepreneurship, if we can offer you some floaties and help you swim, mm-hmm. then we've done our job. Yes, yeah, so before we start getting into the topics of the struggles that they currently face, let's talk a little bit about my, about mindset, right? It all starts with mindset. Yeah, so if if you have a mindset that struggles are a hard thing and you try to avoid them at all cost, then you're avoiding growth and learning mm-hmm. for yourself. Right. And I heard it put this way too is I was actually having a conversation with Brian Hilliard. He's the author of Networking Like a Pro, co-authored that with the founder of Business Networking International, Ivan Meisner. But he, he his biggest thing, he, you know, he asked me the question, Zach, what do you think separates the successful person, the successful business owner from the non-successful business owner? And he said, now let me give you some parameters. They have the same training, mm-hmm. same skill sets, same intelligence, same potentially same background. What makes Same one starting thing? capital. Right. All else being equal, what is the one thing that makes one successful and what not? And he said it's mindset. Mindset, yeah. So if um, you're if you're totally afraid of struggling or of the roller coaster ride that you're gonna be on as you're starting up a, an organization or a business, then it's not for you. Right. I mean just like leadership. Up, down, there's some loops in there. <laughs> Right. Failures, falling off your horse, whatever term you want to use for it. So it's really about your mindset going into this because the reality of the matter is as we cover our topic of challenges in business and really how to overcome them first, when you're faced with that challenge, that adversity is what's your mindset around that? Is it, oh my gosh, and freaking out and just Mm -hmm. woe is me you know, a kind of life sucks mentality Mm -hmm. or is it, Hey, this is, this is part of the process and it's actually a blessing because I get to overcome this. And from this, I'm going to grow. It's that abundance and growth mindset when facing challenges that we've talked about before. Yeah. It's ability to live in the gray. Right. And one week you might have a, a great success. And then three days later you had a stumbling block. Right. All within a week. And how can you well how can you continue to work through that, right? Having that abundance and growth mindset and so I've also heard heard it put this way. Things are in business. Things are never as good as they seem, but they're also never as bad as they seem. Mm-hmm. Right. And really what that means, y'all, is keeping whether we're we're winning, you know, if you will, scoring runs. Right. Or if we're in hard times, if we're in a famine season, if you will, keeping everything chest level and saying, hey, we're going to grow from this. We're going to move forward from this because you're one. I mean, in business, in reality, especially new business, you can be one day away from a disaster. Right. Again, on the flip side, you can also be one day away from an absolute business explosion to where life never looks the same again, depending on what happens. 
And it all starts with that mindset. Right. So I heard a great analogy last week or within the last couple of weeks that I just absolutely loved that I had no idea. So, and I put this on my social media this past week, butterfly, when it's in its cocoon and it's, it's time to come out of its cocoon and start being a butterfly or what we know is a butterfly. As it's coming out of the cocoon and struggling, Mm-hmm. Not it's not an easy event, so to speak, for a butterfly. The struggle is allowing um, certain liquid to get into the wings of the butterfly, which then enables the butterfly to fly around and live its life. If you were to interfere with that process, if you were to come in with a pair of scissors or something and just open up the cocoon and make it easy for the butterfly... The fluid doesn't get in the wings and it perishes. Right. But the growth, if you will, of the butterfly happens in the struggle. Mm-hmm. To get that fluid into the wings so that it can grow and uh, live its life and live out its purpose in this world. And it was just a, you know, mind-blowing analogy I didn't know about that I no. will probably use in my coaching services Moving forward, if the butterfly was afraid of the struggle and didn't naturally find it within its DNA, mm-hmm. that's what it needed to do. Where would butterflies be today? We would, I mean, dead. <laughs> they wouldn't we be wouldn't around, right? We yeah. wouldn't have any. Same thing with entrepreneurs and small business owners. If they were didn't realize that the struggle was going to be part of their natural process and in a growing mechanism to allow them to be better leaders and better owners, then we wouldn't have any small businesses. Right. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't any, have we wouldn't, any business in general. We wouldn't have an economy. None. People wouldn't have jobs. Because all the, I mean, all the corporate giants today started off as small business. Right. So. So with that being said, let's let's dive into our list of struggles that entrepreneurs face at any time, not just, we're not talking about specific to today and pandemic world and so forth, but just right. in general, what things do entrepreneurs struggle with to get the business built and up and running and profitable. Right. I mean, we, we've touched on before in another episode, you know, building that business strategy and everything. And mm-hmm. A lot of challenges that we're going to talk about today, you, you, you kind of cover in that business strategy. But if, if, if you've listened to that episode before, we did talk about how that business strategy has to be fluid because these challenges mm-hmm. are, these challenges are ever changing, ever evolving, right? And we might overcome a challenge, but then we might face it again. It's not one and done. Right. Right. Cause as you get bigger, your, your, your prop, not problems, but challenges get bigger, right? The scale of the, the size of the same problem or the same challenge gets bigger, right? Well, as you add products and services to your offerings, right? Some naturally pop up again. So talking about that business strategy, one of the first things we talked about was figuring out who your customer is out of the whole population of the world or in your country or in your city, whatever scale you want to look at it is, is Who's your ideal customer? Right. And how, how big is that market? Who, who owns the problem you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. 
So what are the demographics? Because overcoming that challenge makes everything else after that easier. Because if you don't identify your target market and you're just basically trying to play darts with a blindfold on after somebody spun you around. Well, it focuses your time, <laughs> focuses right. your energy, and brings you the biggest return on your investment of time and money right. for your business. Comes back By to understanding who, who that is. Right. Instead of having that Hail Mary, <laughs> you can go back to that episode, the Hail, Hail Mary strategy, and you're just marketing to everybody, hoping that somebody will buy your business or buy your product or service. Right. It's kind of being wasteful of your resources. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, un- also understanding your model. I mean, when we talked about that and identifying the customer, part of it was also, all right, are you going to be a high cost, low volume? Mm-hmm. You know, high ticket item, luxury item, or is it going to be a very, very low entry point and high volume? Yeah, because that's going to be a big factor in determining who that customer is. Right, goes back to my three legged stool of speed, price, and quality. Mm-hmm. You're going to compete on two of those because you can't have all three at the same time. So, right. which two are you going to choose in your business model? Right. Well, once you have um, a target audience, you got to do what? You got to make them aware that you exist. Right. Basically stand up and say, hey, we're here. We're here. Got something to offer you, something that's going to help you solve your problem. Whether it's known or unknown problem. So you have that problem there. Have something that can solve it. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? But what is your marketing strategy? How are you doing that? How are you not only just getting your name out there, but getting your brand out there. You know, Andy, we've talked about branding versus mm-hmm. a label before, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a word I'm looking for. It's not a, not, a, not a two-way street, but it's two phases, right? Right. One, you got to let people know that you exist and you're out there. That's going to be, you're going to, you're trying to sell them on what you're hoping your brand's going to be. Right. But the reality is it's, your brand's going to be achieved because people experience your product and service right. in that way, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's about words versus action. So you're going to tell them first in words, then you're going to engage and in- hopefully sell them your product or service, and then that becomes actionable, right? Your actions match your words. Mm-hmm. And that product or service staying true to what you want your brand to be, not deviating off of that, because, I mean, you think about it. Let me use an, a parenting analogy here. All right. If a, we talked about consistency mm-hmm. last week, right? Right. Being a very big deal for your business itself, your employees, that culture consistency is a big deal. But your clients or your target market, your customers want consistency as well. They mm-hmm. want a consistent brand. They want a consistent quality. I'll go back right. two episodes ago, right? About trust. Right. That's how one mechanism or way that you start building up that trust with a customer is through the consistency. Right. And that trust is inherent to your brand. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's by nature, it's part of the brand, right? Mm-hmm. It's experience and trust mm-hmm. are the two main components of your brand. And then from that... We get back into, hey, we just built a tribe. Right? Mm-hmm. So 
So many dots to connect. <laughs> so many dots. I kind of feel like the guy with the board of like yarn going from one picture to another. You know what I mean? Yes. But not crazy. <laughs> okay. But no, I mean, there are... Ev- Andy, I love that you said that because everything we've talked to up until this point, it all ties together into mm-hmm. one organism, if you will. Because this is growing, evolving, and changing. Like it even goes about. to our episode about program management. We've right. got we're gonna we're gonna supply a list here of I don't know eight to ten issues or things struggles that entrepreneurs have, and you need to be paying attention to all of them at the same time. And you can use the concept of program management to do your scanning and figure right. out how you're gonna approach each one of these issues in your business. Right. So, I mean, once we've built our brand and. We've said we're here. Here's our brand. Increase and here's the thing: we have to ever be increasing brand awareness. That isn't mm-hmm. that's that's an ongoing process for the entirety of the life of a business. That's not a one-time thing. That's an everlasting thing for the life cycle of that business. Right. right? So and when you're when you're building that brand, well, take the two issues we just talked about: who's your target audience and building your brand. Right now, it has a generic face. Mm-hmm. It's like going onto a dating site and you have this profile, but you have no picture. Right? Don't Somebody decided it. not to put a picture out there, right? But now, your next step is to start putting pictures up there. Mm-hmm. An actual name and an actual person that fits that profile. And filling out your bio. Right. And, and yeah. start putting that into a list, right? And that can either happen as they start engaging with you in terms of actually buying your product or service, or you can go out and buy mailing lists out there that you can start marketing directly towards that known person. But somehow you got to start building that customer list. That's going directly to a person that has money that can start spending with you. Well, even existing customers, right? I mean, creating that marketing list, customer list, email list, whatever name we want to give it, but this is a twofold purpose. Especially if you're in a business of returning customers, mm-hmm. right? It's not a, you know, one time thing in long term, but they have to keep coming back, right? Yeah, you're building your tribe. Or this is also useful for getting that customer to have you. That's a happy customer, satisfied customer, keeping you top of mind so that there's a funnel there that they're saying, hey, by the way, you have this problem as well. You should go talk to Andy Mm -hmm. or you should go talk to Zach or you should go talk to so-and-so. When they get that ping in, in an email or a newsletter or something for existing customers, as well as a marketing email or even, heck, paper mailers. Right, I know businesses that still thrive off of that to capture new customers. So, which, and, and the whole whole goal of all this is to you know what when, when I'm talking to my customers about sales is that you have a sales funnel, right? Which goes into our next topic. Our biggest challenge is getting leads. Right, those actual customer right. names. And getting them into you at the top of your sales funnel. Well, I think that's that's a lot of businesses' biggest struggle. 
one of the biggest struggles mm-hmm. is lead generation. Like a lot of times when when I'm interviewing somebody in our business, it's, well, where do I get my leads from? Great question, <laughs> right? Because if you don't know, it, it's very scary because then you're just stepping into the abyss. Right. So you've got to identify how you're going to fill that funnel. Yeah. So let's define what a lead is, right? right. So it's a person that fits a certain demographic or, that or customer, customer profile, so to speak. And then your the lead generation is putting an actual name, phone number, email address, et cetera, of somebody that fits that profile that from a timing perspective is, is in the market to find somebody right. that offers that product and service. That's a key item is timing on this because it could be, well, I fit the demographic, but I just don't have a need for that. The problem hasn't arrived in my life right. yet, right? So are they really a lead? Hmm. Maybe maybe for brand awareness and doing some marketing so that when that, that need does arrive in that moment of time, you're, you're at the top of the list that they mm-hmm. want to engage with from that perspective, but they're not, they're not in the top of your sales funnel yet. Because the need hasn't arrived from right. a timing perspective. As soon as that arrives, then you want to get them into your sales funnel and run them through your sales process. And the key to success is, what is the ratio of lead generation to actual establishment of a customer? You know, if you right. if you put 10 leads in the top of the funnel, how many actually drop through the bottom and become a paid customer? Right. Is it one out of 10? Is it one out of three? Is it one out of 100? What is it? And this is really why tracking those metrics is so important throughout oh, the business. Very important. So let's say you're in a business where you're, you're marketing, your lead generation is making phone calls. Mm-hmm. You, have a, you have a team, a sales team that call prospective leads, however they came in, right? Names, numbers. How many, hey, Mr. Jones, hey, Mrs. Joneses, are you going to have to make until you get an appointment or you get at least an opportunity to to go take a shot at the business, Mm -hmm. right? From how many shots at the business does it take to convert that to one client? Right. Because then you you can establish a system. You can also establish, okay, how do we increase the ratio of conversion from appointment to, from call to appointment to client in all areas? Well, one of the great metrics to watch is the cost of capturing a customer. Right. How much does it cost you? And you can measure it in time or you can measure it in money. Right. Does it cap, does it cost you to capture one customer? And that's where that, that ratio really comes into play. If you have to spend mm-hmm. a ton of money to get a hundred leads and you're only going to get two customers out of it, then you're, you're going to have a high cost to capture for right. your customer. And if your product or service is priced in such a way that you don't get much business or profitability out of that, then we need to find another form of lead generation, another form of lead generation, or you got to work on your sales process. So you get more, a higher success rate out right. of the sales process, or maybe you get more customers to, pop out of the bottom of your funnel or let's circle back to when we started maybe you're marketing to the wrong people you could maybe so be in the wrong market 
or you've got problems with your brand. Right. The experience they're having with you so far in your sales process is not great. Right. And therefore, they don't want to sign on the dotted line, so to speak, and become a customer of yours. Maybe you've got customer service issues or you got sales. That was my next Salespeople issues or whatever. Maybe we need some retraining. Right. Yeah. So all this has to be paid paid attention to, to try and understand where it's falling short on your success rate in the sales process. And again, it depends on the type of marketing, the type of lead generation. So if you're an online business, you don't have mm-hmm. a sales team, you just have a website. Right. right. Maybe your website's not that appealing. Right. Maybe somebody clicks on your link on Google and trying to get an order in well first of all are you communicating well with what your product and service is to convince them to buy then if they say yeah i want to buy and then it takes them two hours to get through your sales process on the internet guess what they're going to go bye bye well if it's not user friendly i mean i've clicked on websites before that i'm searching for stuff and if i didn't specifically search for that i wouldn't know what they did Mm -hmm. (laughs) problem right and we're not here to talk about, you know, specific website builds and stuff like that, but that could be a problem, right? It could also be a problem if you actually have a sales force that's, you know, customer facing, tracking each individual metric or each individual salesperson's metrics, because if, if their conversion ratio is well below the company averages, maybe they just need some retraining. Mm-hmm. No. Surveys become a great tool right. after after the sale just to understand how well the, your process right. worked. Does it need some tweaking somewhere? Right. So that also leads into, Andy, something you said, you know, making sure the customer satisfied, right? Once you have the leads, convert them to a client, are they going to be a lead generator for you as well? Mm-hmm. So this gets into customer expectations and the value that you're actually delivering to right. the customer. You know, if it's an important product or service and they're and they're choosing you because you're the lowest price or lowest cost in the marketplace and then your service is crap. But you, you didn't meet customer expectations and from a quality perspective. So it was, it was inexpensive, but they sort of got their money's worth. Right. <laughs> and they're probably not going to be a repeat customer. So it's that ratio of cost to the customer versus the quality and expectations are all those being met and are they quote being delighted right if it's if it's the quality is not there for the the cost that's costing the customer and they they don't you're not meeting their expectations then you either got to do what lower your expenses lower your price, or, or, lower your price or or improve your customer service right or one of the, product, one of the two directions product quality i mean it's either get cheaper or get better if we want to just put a general statement out there. And it depends on where you want to position yourself in the marketplace. Right. If you're marketing as a high value, luxury, or whatever kind of item, then you got to bump up the customer service. If you're in a commodity business, then you probably need to lower your right. expenses. I mean, if we're in the auto industry, do you want to compete with Honda or do you want to compete with Bentley? Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's an intentional decision that right. should be in your business plan and business strategy. Right. That's identifying your customer. Yep. Right. Because those are two completely different demographics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
which going back to tracking those metrics, part of it's going to be also who are you hiring, right? Are you just hiring warm bodies to have people fill seats or are you hiring players, right? And that, a player depends on what you're doing, right? If you're in production, are you hiring the right engineers, the right research and development, mm-hmm. right, et cetera? If you're customer facing, you're heavy in sales, are you hiring the right salespeople? Are you hiring, if you will, sales assassins, <laughs> right? Well, it comes down that, to, once again, return on your investment. Right. You're spending money to, to go through the hiring process and bring employees into your organization, which is a major decision or step in your business anyway. So you're paying a salary, you're paying for benefits maybe, and what what are you getting out of that investment? Right. What kinds of productivity, what kinds of customer sales, all depends on the position within the company, but what kind of return are you getting? Right. And the more talented people that you bring in, the better return you're going to get. Right. And when when you're going through that process, not being afraid to ask the tough questions, one of the questions I straight up ask when I'm interviewing somebody is, can you take tough coaching? Are you coachable? Mm-hmm. Right. Because in all honesty, I could probably teach anybody with the willingness to learn how to be in sales, right? In anything, in any arena, but they have to be able to learn. doesn't mean that you have to hire the best right off, but they need to be coachable, moldable, malleable to fit that mold. Yeah, would you rather have a, a five-star individual that's not coachable or a three or four star that is right i'll take the three or four star every single day every day every day they got the right mindset and are coachable right i will take them every day so and then i used to um tell my mentees back in the corporate world that particularly if they're in leadership and are hiring managers meaning they get to hire people for their team do not be afraid to bring in somebody smarter than you into your team. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're being judged on results. Mm-hmm. And don't you want you don't you want to have a Freddie Freeman or a Minicunia on your team? I guess it depends on the game. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, most definitely. Yeah, well just think about the run productivity you get out of those two players right. in the game of baseball. Right. And we're a little biased because we're in Atlanta, so we pick pick Braves to use as an example. But every team has those guys, right? Yeah, right. you're going to spend over the long term a lot of money in terms of salary for those people, but you get the return on your investment. Right. You get what you pay for. If you well, will. when you hire the right people, yeah. Even even if they have to come through the double A and triple A system and coach them and get them to that level before they come into major league baseball. Right. I mean, just look at Tom Brady. What, what round did he go in the 12th round or 15th round of the draft? Late. Late. <laughs> Huge yeah. return on the investment. Yeah. Anyway, we're probably be- beating it, beating <laughs> that beating, subject to the yeah. death. All right. So you've hired, you've hired good people. You got a business strategy, you got a business model, you're doing well on the brand, got your marketing lead generation going. When you're looking internal, internally, one of the other things you got to pay attention to, and 
I did this quite a bit in my previous career, as they say, is do your people have the right tools and the right processes to be productive in their work, right? So you hire a handyman, but you don't give him a hammer and a screwdriver and measuring tape and a pencil and calculator and whatnot. How effective are they going to be in their job? Because you didn't give them the right tools. Right. You didn't establish the right processes. So I know there's probably a lot of people that don't enjoy that part of the work, but it needs to be paid attention to. Right. Well, and the beautiful part is managing the systems and everything. It's a beautiful thing in business when you have an effective system and you can take somebody that has some level of skill set. Again, that three or four star that's coachable and just plug them into the system and they become a five star, right? Because the system does the work that's supposed to do. So Mm -hmm. it's not fun speaking from a personal standpoint. I'm the, I'm the go, go, go type personality. I don't want to sit down and meticulously go over things, right? But sitting down to establish that system takes a little bit of time in all relativity to then be able to launch that forward because you just have a plug-and-play system Mm -hmm. that you've tested, revamped, tested, revamped until you've dialed it in to where that flow of your business in every area is just a well-oiled machine. I mean, I took that really back in my restaurant management days with Waffle House. I will give it to them. The systems that they inst- that they established, oh my gosh, it's it's just one big system in a book, and every store is run the same way, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You don't have even in management, you don't have to think really. Now, overcoming issues, problems, people problems, you got to think because people. Well, at that point, but, it becomes management, right? You're right. just making sure people are following processes because the processes, the end result of the processes that you use is, is the result you're looking for. Right. If it's built properly. Right. So then you just become a, a cop, so to speak, to make sure that right. those processes get followed. Now, if you're in the people business, dealing with people, which if you own a business, unless you're a solopreneur, you most likely are, even outside of those systems, you still have to use your leadership muscles, not just manage Mm -hmm. with that being said, but those systems help guide that almost on, you know, in some aspects on autopilot. Right. So then we get into the area of, of money, right? Every business, I mean, we're all in business to make money Mm -hmm. and, you know, Andy, you've kind of talked about the, the cost of the player, right? the ROI on that player, the ROI mm-hmm. on the training. So what does your business strategy and business plan, how are you building your financial plan within that? Yeah, so I don't I don't care if you're a, top, a Fortune Top 100 corporation or you're a, a mom and pop, small, you know, brick and mortar kind of business. Everybody has a finite bucket of money. Mm -hmm. And the key to success is at any given point in time is where are you investing that money 
inside the business. Right. Right. And, and corporation I used to work for, you, if you were launching a new product or service, you had to bring together a business plan and show through your estimates and so forth, what kind, you know, over a five or 10 year period, what kind of return on that investment, right? So if you're a CEO of a major corporation, you've got this big bucket of money and you're saying, where, what areas in the business do I want to put right. my bucket, which is finite? That I'm going to get the best return on my investment. It's the same thing for a small Small business trying to get started, you have a certain amount of capital, you got ready to invest in the business. And at this given point in time, what, where do I want to invest that? And then the next year might be slightly different depending on where you're at. And then that following year after that, slightly different as you're building the business. And so it, it takes some smart decisions and some thinking and planning to try and figure out where do I need to invest first right? And that, to that, get the biggest bang for your buck. Right. I mean, that really gets into establishing a growth model or the scaling of expansion and things like that of business. I mean, do you want to stay as a quote unquote mom and pop? Or if you want to grow to be a fortune 500, right? A fortune 100. How do you scale that up? That goes hand in hand with that financial planning piece. And that's, that's one of the harder parts seen far into the future. Yeah. So we sort of put this list that we're going through together in a certain order, right? Because in the beginning, a lot of your investment is going to be in your sales and marketing branding type pieces to make the world know that you're out there and trying to find customers. And as you start getting some sales on your belt and you're building some profitability, you're going to pour those Profits into what? Tools, processes, production, those type items. You're probably going to back off a little bit on your sales and marketing or whatever to build up and scale your production to meet the demand that you're creating through your sales and marketing efforts and find that proper balance until such time you're ready to add a new product or service to the mix. Right. Then you might start pouring more back into sales and marketing to make the market aware of this new product and service. So it's a life cycle. Right. But you got to worry about. And if you expand into new market areas or new product areas, you start the cycle back over. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, that that's the major normal challenges that every business owner is going to face every single business but then you know we we had these unprecedented events in the last year and a half that further for lack of a better term complicated things right that mm-hmm. created more challenges we always had some disruption <laughs> yeah disruption in the world so you know known as you know, COVID-19, so... Lots of pivoting. ton of pivoting. A ton. So beyond your business strategy, I mean, there were so many businesses that they were doing a great job at facing these everyday challenges of business, Mm -hmm. and then wham, you get punched in the mouth, right? Yeah, like me, five months into starting the business, the pandemic hits. Right. (laughs) I mean, go back to when we had Chris Lalamia on 
mm-hmm. starting a business in the heat of a recession. Right. Right. So, you know, it is doable, but I think this was the biggest impact. I mean, it was on a global scale for businesses, right? Right. Now, if you were able to pivot the right way, the this might have actually benefited some businesses, right? Yeah, let's they, just, but I think what the message we're trying to send here is that the pivot unto itself is not an easy go. Right. I mean, just like we just went through the basic struggles an entrepreneur goes right. through, pivoting is a struggle. Well, I mean, look at with COVID-19, especially like the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. How in the world did they, I mean, that was a very long cycle to figure out how do they pivot which they're still going through that a lot, right? For a lot of businesses, it was, you know, how do we take our business and transition into a 100% digital world where we're not face-to-face? Right. Depending on your industry, thankfully, like our business, okay, it's, okay, we're not meeting with clients in person. Mm -hmm. Zoom, hey, here's, you know, here's the link to my Zoom meeting room. Hop on. Can you imagine what this world would have been without Zoom? We wouldn't have, I don't, I don't even know how anything would have been done. If this would have been 30 years ago before mm-hmm. the the technology that we have today, heck, even potentially 10 years ago. I'm, so, I'm sometimes amazed to think about it, how the, this world got out of the Spanish flu. Yeah. Medicine isn't, back then, wasn't what it is today. Technology wasn't what it is today. How the heck did the world <laughs> exist after the Spanish flu? Right. Amazing. But then, you know. So, so that theme there was about not being able to get together in person, right? So right. digital first world, we went to the digital. But one that really, really hit me hard was not being able to get in person with people and establish relationships and trust. And, right. Which is a necessity for my business to bring in new customers. Yeah. Because the networking world just went into the I mean, tubes. It's very difficult. I mean, the networking groups, so Chamber of Commerce's, other networking groups and everything like that, that was a very hard pivot mm-hmm. for them because human beings build relationships through connection, mm-hmm. physical connection, contact, shaking hands, hugging, eye contact. And, you know, one-on-one or three or four people on a Zoom, you can still kind of substitute right you can still build a connection you can still build a relationship i mean heck through us building business we you know it pushed us to actually be national we have relationships with people like close consider them very close friends that Mm -hmm. i've never met in person because of zoom but when you get 30 40 70 80 people on a networking call you get two or three people that do all the talking and so how does that how do you get that that one-on-one that well not only that you can't get 80 people on a screen i mean you'd have to constantly just be moving through screens to exactly feel like you're engaging and can see people i've been there a couple a new person starts speaking you have to sort of scroll through like four screens just to see who it is that's talking right so that's just weird now zoom came out with the breakout room thing which Mm -hmm. helped but it is very difficult. So how, you know, Andy, how did, what are some things you did to try to overcome that? Well, it was, it was mostly 
jumping on the Zoom networking calls and just trying to put your best effort forth. Yeah. That and amped up my social media game mm-hmm. on yeah. the marketing side, just trying to get that brand awareness out there. It was already heavy on my mind being a new business, but you sort of doubled down on it mm-hmm. during the pandemic to get that message out. Instead of relying on networking and being in person to get that message out, right. you know, I had to go to the digital world. Mm-hmm. What about business planning? In a COVID world, I mean... First of all, you have to have some kind of sense or idea when this whole thing was going to end. You know, if you go back a year from now, now, now we see a light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah, back a year ago, you have vaccines weren't out. You had no idea well, we were told it when was it was coming to an end. You know, you're going to have a transition period after it ends or is starting to come to a close before you finally get back to, quote, normal, unquote, mm-hmm. times. Is that going to be a six-month time frame, a year, two years, five years. You know, you think about international travel, getting back to normal. That's probably a three- to five-year process. And how do you plan for that? And if you get it wrong, is that going to hurt you big time? So it takes what? A lot of flexibility. Be able to think and act very very quickly to changes well again being fluid i think people have to be more flexible now and change business strategy more now than ever mm-hmm. right so you saw a lot of companies that you know especially retail areas that were brick and mortar mm-hmm. that their their storefront or their building is now vacant because they said, hey, to stay in business, we need to go 100% virtual. Yeah, I have to make that tough decision. I'm investing money in the right. rent or owning my building. And I'm not getting any return on it because people can't come into my store. Mm-hmm. Or don't want to come into my store. Maybe I got the great greatest policies I could come up with about people being in my store, but fear sets in and people don't even want to come in. Right. No matter what, what your protocols are like. So now you have to make a tough decision. Do I keep this brick and mortar going? Mm-hmm. Particularly when you don't know how long the pandemic's going to. Right. I'm not getting any return on my investment on rent. So what do I do? Tough decision. Well, then this is one, I mean, that hit a lot of people hit us personally is, you know, having work-life balance. Because when you're working from home, it's very easy to get all consumed with just work. Right when Oh, then schools are closed and you might have kids at home too. Right. So dealing with that, I mean, one way we dealt with that was we got very, very intentional with our scheduling. Mm-hmm. Right. To make sure, you know, we're not the place we have kids, knock on wood for a few more years, but we still needed time to be married right we still needed date night we still needed Mm -hmm. time so get very intentional with the scheduling of that and you know i've we have a team that you know they they're somewhat dependent on us right we're their resource but they knew if that schedule was blocked hey it's for it's for personal time and that is sacred Mm -hmm. right so scheduling the family time scheduling time with your kids that way 
that work-life balance doesn't get out of hand because if it's ju- if your commute's just a walk up the stairs or a walk down the hall, <laughs> it's easy to just get 100% locked in and that's all all you do. Yeah, so my last four years with Boeing, I got to work from home quite a bit, living in apartments, and I on purpose selected a floor plane in my apartments that my my work area, tables, computers, whatnot, were in a separated area in the apartment where I can almost mentally, even though I didn't have any doors to the area, I could turn off the lights and mentally think that I was leaving the office and never visited the right. whole rest of the day. So that I had that mentality of personal time, work balance versus the the work time. It's a little bit of a trick that you have to do, but just like you said, structure on your schedule and so forth was just another mental thing that I was doing. Mindset. Mm -hmm. It is, especially as an entrepreneur, you have to have such more control and Mm self-awareness than the average bear. Yeah, to avoid the kitchen and the refrigerator. Right. So especially, yeah, I love the <laughs> that was another there. issue. <laughs> so the COVID, the COVID-19, not yes. talking about the virus, but the pounds, right? Right. So, and then let's say you're in the product world, right? Supply chain issues, right? Shipping has not only slowed down, but gotten astronomically more expensive. Yeah. So we can sort of kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, with this. Yeah. This item on the list is getting raw materials in and getting product out, particularly if it's international and you've got different countries that are in different places in the process of right. vaccines and getting rid of the, the virus or reducing it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Can't get raw materials in. Look at the cost of of wood. I've got a, a buddy in the panhandle of Florida who's been trying to rebuild his home after a termite infestation. And the cost of wood right now is sort of putting his rebuild on hold. Yeah, I'm sure. It was it was already a lengthy process to go through arbitration with the termite contractor and so forth. And now he's hit with this where having to put things on hold for like a year or so to try and let the cost sort of settle down on wood right you know so that's a raw material issue and then you're trying to get product out to other countries who may not have the staffing and customs like they used to for various reasons or have different regulations and it puts extended time on shipping it's just it's a mess it's part of that transition of coming out of a pandemic that's going to be painful right. for a little while so I mean with that, like you said, I mean, production suffers. The whole process is more expensive, it's slower. And even though customers may be aware, how are you making them aware? And how are you still delighting the customer? That's another. We're looking at the whole computer reason. chip problem. Right. <laughs> right. Right. The, the end, end product demand goes way down. You have an extended pandemic and then suppliers start putting stuff on hold because they can't uh, pay for raw materials and for their employees to make the product and so forth because no money's coming in because the end product is not selling or there's no demand. They start pulling close to the chest in terms of expenses and now all of a sudden the pandemic starts loosening up the demand for those products goes Mm -hmm. 
through the roof from all this pent up demand, and then the suppliers are like, "Sorry, we can't spool up fast enough to right. help you with this demand." And so now you start creating shortages, even though there's a huge demand for it. A lot of frustration. Yeah. What about creativity? If you're if you're in a world that you know research and development and trying to get creativity and you need that energy of creativity in the room and everybody's sitting on zoom. I mean, it's, it's hindered. That's for sure. How you overcome it. That's the more difficult part, right? Because typically if you have a team of R and D or a think tank, Mm -hmm. right? You get them in a room and, or you get your group, your people in a room and you feed off of each other, play ping pong with ideas, mm-hmm. right? You can't, you can kind of do that on zoom, but how much harder is it for people to stay fully engaged on zoom when they've got kids running around? Yeah. If you're used they, to having 12 people in the room, you might have to break them up into subgroups and say, okay, this, this is almost like your break, the break room comment you just made. Breaking them out in the breakout rooms of two, three, four people. Everybody right. can see each other on the screen and try your best to try and create that environment over Zoom to get that creativity going. And then together as a sub team might come into a bigger and start presenting ideas and get some creativity yeah, kind of going. Have it. have smaller workshops that they work together to yeah. come up with simpler their best the idea. Simpler the better. Right. From that standpoint. So then it really comes down to, again, like how long is this thing going to last, right? We all understand where it seems like we're coming to the tail end of this thing, that we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And those COVID challenges, it seems like it's been forever. (laughs) It feels like it. But in all relativity... It's short-term, it's temporary, right? I mean, Andy, I think you feel the same way. We'll get back to quote-unquote normal, right? When it comes to doing business the way we were in Well, even though it might be an 80 or 90% normal, because there's certain things that happen and certain behaviors that happen during COVID that people are going to go, why weren't we doing this in the beginning? Right. I mean, heck. You know, that'll stick. With our business personally, it's, will you ever go back to normal? No, we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to productivity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is a difference there, but preparing for the COVID world was was short term. It was temporary. It was a it was a temporary pivot. Right. So as needs transition back, what's your business plan? What's your business strategy to like you the term you used, spool back up? Mm-hmm to get things rolling the way they were before. Like you said, 80%, 90%, maybe 70%. Who knows? It depends on your business. That's where you have to identify. I feel like it's basically going back up to the top and starting all over. <laughs> right? To a degree. Yeah, well, it requires a lot of flexibility, right? So right. You, you may have to implement some short-term processes or pieces or hiring or whatever to deal with a transitory state of changing from COVID era to non-COVID while at the same time doing some planning for the long term that when 
yeah. the fog totally gets lifted, so to speak, to COVID is that you're ready to rock and roll back to whatever the new normal is. Right, almost. So you have to know what the new normal is, and then you have to do some planning. Almost have it staged so when the green light goes, you can launch off that starting line. Mm-hmm. The, tr- the trickiest part of it all, though, is the timing of it. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not, it's, we're, we've not been given a definitive, all right, this date, go, right? It's not the analogy I use to kind of use drag racing, right? It's not like the timing of those lights, you know it and you anticipate mm-hmm. it and try to count it down to have perfect timing. Mm-hmm. This is round and round we go, when we stop, nobody knows kind of deal. So how well are you going to be able to pivot back? How quickly? Right, and as part of the business planning process, you have to have a lot of conversations with your suppliers because you might do your internal work and ready to push the button on that green dot, but if your suppliers are not right ready themselves, then truly you're not ready either. Yeah. Because you got that whole supply chain to worry about. But it's just going to be different for different industries. Some, some spool up time for our suppliers can be fairly short, and for others it can be fairly long. Right. The more capital based their businesses the longer it's going to take the manufacturing in particular would mm-hmm. be my guess well that's exhausting it was a lot but it was a lot that needed to be talked about well it's yeah, a it's a check it's dots. a checklist right um, connecting a lot of connecting of dots and a lot of checklists of and why I think it's important to take that program management mindset so that you're looking at all the pieces at the same time and figuring mm-hmm. out their priorities, given where you are in the process of building your business. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I love that idea of program management. It just works well. well I had no idea what it was until I got into the plain manufacturing company. But Well, I think it's a great tool to be able to apply across the board of life, mm-hmm. right, is being able to see every aspect. But to those who joined us, we hope that this conversation, because this is what we really wanted this to be today, is more of a conversation than anything, gave you some insight, gave you some tips, and helps you some generate exposure. Life. Yeah. If you're thinking about opening the business, here's a great one episode with a list of things you need to pay attention to and put in your right. business plan. How you're going to tackle it, as well as what kind of metrics you need to pay attention to to understand how well that part of the process of building the business is going for you. Right. I mean, it's exactly what you're working on with your groups. This is all the stuff I deal with. I deal with this every day in my coaching services. And we basically deal with it every day within our business. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I deal with it within my own business, which is the business of helping others deal with Your it. Your business is helping others deal with their yeah. business, yeah. <laughs> I I is an entrepreneur. <laughs> anyway, we, we greatly appreciate you joining in today. As we always say, we hope you took some nuggets away from this. And if nothing else, it gives you a area of exposure of things you need to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Whether you're just thinking about it and starting to put business plans and strategic plans together or if you're in the midst of it in the midst of the fog and as always 
hit that uh, follow button so you don't miss out on an episode. Every Tuesday, we we drop a new episode, and it is spelled wrong. It's spelled subscribe, mm-hmm. but we like to, you know, we are also working on building this tribe. We're all on a journey. Right. And we're just asking you to follow along on our journey. And if it's generating value in your life. Tell others. Tell others. Help us generate value. Help us to build our brand. Together in somebody you care about's life. Mm-hmm. So. Who knows you could be a life changer. We could. Just by very nature that you connect somebody to us. That'd be a wonderful thing that would f- fulfill our purpose. There's the why. There's the why. That's why we do this. So with all that being said, again, click that button, give us a share, and we will see you back here next week. Have a great week, have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online on Instagram at The Fitzpreneur, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search for Generate Your Value on those platforms. Once again, Thanks for joining us for today's podcast, and we invite you to generate your value in this world.